Detroit Sip is where you need to enjoy coffee. Meet with your neighborhood association and write your next journal entry. Detroit Sip is the community business located at 7420 West McNichols, Detroit, Michigan, 48221. Open Thursday through Sunday for you to experience the real Detroit over a great mocha. Visit Detroit Sip today. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Okay, we are back again in the Detroit is Different Podcast Studios. And this is special as uh, it's already getting special. Detroit seems to have gotten off the ground. And I think spring is here. I think I think spring is here. You hear the guests saying, finally, she's ready for spring. Um, I, I don't know how I am. I'm a December baby, so you know maybe it can snow again. You know, oh, I no. still got not my scraper. Until, not until November. I got my scraper still, just in <laughs> case. Just in case. Um, got my scraper and I called my landscaper, so I'm ready for all weather, all seasons. But Detroit is different. Continues on the ship, and today we have a special guest, uh, a photographer. Uh, a shutter bug as many people are into pictures uh, i was just having a conversation with one of my homeboys because i'm changing my profile picture generally weekly just to keep things going in facebook and new content on facebook and twitter and everything and they like see man you feeling yourself so we just always had these jokes and stuff back and forth me and all my homeboys and uh that's what homeboys do but we have an actual photographer here i take a picture here or there and uh <laughs> Nabila Khan, how are you? Welcome to Detroit is Different. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it is a pleasure to be here. Yep, and you you were nervous at first, and we're going to yeah. break through the nervousness. A little nervous, that is correct. Yeah. Yes, and we're going to break through the nervousness, <laughs> pick up the Rubik's Cube, play around with it, break the puzzle, as they yeah. say. And as you think of breaking the puzzle, we're going to start off with your family's journey to the city of Detroit. What brought your family to the city of Detroit? Okay, so... My parents are originally from Pakistan, and my uncle actually got a scholarship to Wayne State University, mm -hmm. which opened the door for my family to migrate over to the United States in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, my mom, it's actually my mom's uncle, and so he actually went to Wayne State, um, actually became an attorney, and he was a very successful attorney in uh, the Clinton Township area. And his, so he and his, he had his brother come over. And my uncle became an attorney, and then his brother became a physician. So it's pretty much that American dream story of coming here and building your dream and having success. And then they had my mom, who was their niece, come over. My mom had her bachelor's and her master's in education, and she came over here. They, you know, she was of age, so they, my uncles actually found her a few suitors and then she actually liked my dad mm -hmm. and they telegrammed back in the day wow. and had never seen That's each way other back in way back in the day so, yeah <laughs> and uh he migrated over to marry my mom so their actual story made the detroit news i think it was just a detroit news because it wasn't merged at that time and mm -hmm. um it was the first time he saw my mom was when he lifted the veil. Hmm. So that was back in 1973. Wow. Yeah. So that's what brought us here. Okay. Uh, so interesting, interesting. Pakistan. Yes. I, I have no idea of the size of Pakistan. I just know about it. But uh, have you ever been and how big is it and what's it like there? So it's it, and it was part of India. Mm -hmm. And then there was the partition where Pakistan and India separated, mm -hmm. which historically is 
because of the British, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other story. Um, it was a divide and conquer kind of expedition for them, and it worked. And then Pakistan became its own separate country. And it's I have been there. First time I went there, I was a baby, don't remember. Second time I went there, um, I was in fourth grade, um, and that was super fun. I went there, and I stayed with family. And then the last time I was there was in 2007. So I've been four times. Mm-hmm. Um, 2007, I went for my cousin's wedding. And it was a family trip, and I took my kids, and it was a super fun experience. It was eye-opening for my four-year-old because he had never obviously been outside of the country. And then um, it's nothing like you would think based on what you see on TV. It's Mm -hmm. a very populous country. Um, It is still considered third world, but it's very affluent. You're either rich or you're poor, kind Mm -hmm. of how the United States is trending at the moment. But um, it's... You know, you come, I, I'm fortunate because I come from a family of affluent um, and educated people. So the family there has, we have houses, you have drivers, um, you have servants, and I know that sounds bad, but it's pretty much paid help. Like you have cooks and you have people who help do laundry and stuff like that. Everybody's paid. And it's a, it's a part of the, the culture, because culture, even with uh, some of the people I know in countries in south america it's one of those things where you're if you have a certain amount of money if you live in certain places you're supposed to have a certain amount of home service and care uh, as like honoring the culture of the space you can't just say like "Mm, you know i'm gonna live in a dominican and i don't want to have a maid check and it's like what do you mean you don't want to have a maid right and it's actually helping Mm -hmm. as well because there is a lot of poverty so by you know i had um my dad had a, a nanny mm-hmm. and the fa- my my father's family actually paid for her children to go to school and they became you know educated and successful people so mm-hmm. it's almost like bringing in if of course you're fortunate enough to be with a family that treats you like their family mm-hmm. it becomes an opportunity to then give opportunities to your children that you may not have had by being part of a family and working with that family to both grow the family you work for and your own. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, with this, uh, what are you, how many languages did you grow up speaking? So my because... first language was actually Urdu, which is the language of Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, Hindi, which is in India, is very similar. So I know Hindi as well. Then there's Punjabi, which is kind of like the non-proper version mm-hmm. of both it's its own language it's its own culture so it's kind of like patois is yeah for like for a, a, um for like a jamaican it's a mix of like i guess creole and french and english so sort of mm-hmm. it's a, it's still urdu and hindi but it's kind of like the harder version mm-hmm. it's not as soft mm-hmm. so it's not as eloquent mm-hmm. it's kind of like your slang hits mm-hmm. harder, but it's yep. a language. So it's not actually, for them, it's their language. But if you were speaking to an Urdu person, person who's Urdu speaking, Punjabi's kind of like going going street with it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so um, I know those three languages, and then, of course, English, and then I learned some Spanish in high school. So mm-hmm. currently, I think I have five under my belt. Wow, mm-hmm. and you still are walking around with all five? Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that something? Ain't that something? Mm-hmm. So with this growing up with so many cultures uh, in a household um, and and then being here in Detroit, what was the upbringing like for you in Detroit? 
Well, so we actually, I was actually born in Toronto. Huh. And then I lived there the for New the, York of Canada. Pretty much, which was really cool. And I didn't realize that it was the New York of Canada until we moved to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, because Toronto's so diverse. Yeah. Coming from there to Michigan, and we moved into the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I mean. Nothing but white people. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was the black person in our community. So, what? you know, coming here and then starting school. It was tough because I was really shy when we came over. And, uh, you know, kids are not nice, especially if you're different. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that were said to me throughout my entire schooling years mm-hmm. were tough. Do you think that things are probably more progressive for, for students nowadays? Is uh, The media has been, it's weird, like the media has opened up the doors for, uh, I see more diversity in reference to uh, people of, first off it would just be like, okay, people are Arab, but now it's like, okay, people are Indian. And now it's like, okay, there are variations, you know, because so much of of being black and white in America is like you're either black or you're white. Whereas there's so many deviations of cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities and nationalities. And even within those cultures, ethnicities and nationalities, religion plays a role and family plays a role, too. Right. Right. Absolutely. It does. Um, There was a period of time where I felt that America was the melting pot. Um, and I would say it, it felt good to see that happening, to see people kind of melding together and interested in each other's cultures for the right reasons, you know, to mm-hmm. learn, to grow, to understand. Um, and then September 11th happened. Hmm. And when September 11th happened, it felt like I took a step all the way back hmm. to when I first migrated here because it became you people. Yeah. Um, and when I first moved here, they were like, who are you? Where did you come from? You know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like go back to where you came from. And September 11th kind of was, I would say, kind of watered that seed that had been kind of like it was drying out. And yeah. it and it rewatered that seed to mm-hmm. then start growing again. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, the climate right now with the I'll call it a regime that we're under mm-hmm. um, is further flourishing that kind of sentiment of racism, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a connection with social media that there it brings people together, but then at the same time, I feel like it also creates further discord because you can also, as you said, there's ethnicities, then there's ethnicities within ethnicities, there's cultures within, like subcultures mm-hmm. within cultures. Anytime you further divide and label, you're creating more ways to create discord in -hmm. this juncture. So it could also be a way to create bridges, but because of the climate, unfortunately, it doesn't feel that way. And it's a lot of misunderstandings us as Americans have so much of um, Muslim culture and Islam, especially from the Middle East. I mean, just uh, Sunni and Shiite, like in a lot of the the role of the Ayatollah, like, what what mecca represents um uh, it's a lot of misunderstandings we have just due to our american perspectives of like wanting to put label everything like okay this is a box and this is muslim and this is islam but in reality it's so many different variations right as i was uh reading i don't know if you know but uh on um 
Time Time Magazine. I, I have Time Magazine. You know, like you get like the offer for a free mag, and I yeah, was like, yeah. let me go on and get Time. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the Saudi princes now is uh, opening. Uh, one of the princes in Saudi Arabia is looking to be. You know, it's weird. It's like, I guess he's hired some PR firm or something like looking to be a little bit more progressive about what's happening in Saudi Arabia. But the concepts in in a nation like Saudi Arabia and what that royal family represents, as opposed to what's happening uh, from the Ayatollah, it's like such a a different layer of like in our mind. It's like, okay, so which one of these people is, you know, the person that people listen to when it's like people listen to both? So, I'm not a super religious person. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, but I can, my foundation is Islam. My mm-hmm. father was a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. So, connecting to Islam was more of a spiritual connection than a ritual mm-hmm. for us. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I do want people to know is Saudi Arabia and the royal family is actually anti-Islamic. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to have a royal family. There's not supposed mm-hmm. to be kings. Um, the Quran itself specifically states that. So Saudi Arabia actually represents everything that is anti-Islamic. And when they talk mm-hmm. about um, women can't drive and women have to stay covered, these are not pieces of Islam. Mm-hmm. These are pieces of man-made rules. Man likes to keep women overall. I'm not even going to go with Saudi Arabia. Overall, men I like agree. to keep women in check. I agree. So whatever kind of things they can manipulate to give that power to themselves over a woman, they do. And unfortunately, um, that's just been the way. I don't think it's going to be the way forever, but it's been the way. And I think those things are starting to change, even in Saudi Arabia, is that women are now start allowed to drive, which is ridiculous to begin with. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about Saudi Arabia, it actually is disturbing to me because they represent mm-hmm. nothing. And to me, that's, I wanted to, I wanted you to definitely speak on that. I'm yeah. glad you, you hit the nail on the head on a lot of levels because I get into discussions and then people say, you know, you know, you try to, you try to hit people to different games, but I'm like, yo, that Saudi royal family is way more like a, a an American moguls than they are right. of, of representative of, uh, the ideology of Islam. No, absolutely. It's very. Yeah. It's it's not of that. And it's 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 a lot of uh, people that are following them in America and in the Middle East that are in business. But it's way more capitalism than it is. It's all about money. Yeah. It's all about money. And in a culture like Saudi Arabia, which is, you know, pretty much male dominated, mm-hmm. um, they're going to manipulate it and propagand it the way that mm-hmm. suits them. Unfortunately. For the American culture, you only see what you're delivered. Mm-hmm. So no one's really going to see where did the delivery come from. You're just getting the delivery, yeah. and you're opening the package, and then, oh, hey, this is what I yeah, got. You, well, you get Time Magazine, yeah. and you, you read <laughs> yeah. the story, and you say, oh, man, this guy seems cool. Yeah, you and I, I don't even know. Looks like Colin Kaepernick. You know <laughs> right. that's, that, I mean, that's the package yeah. that's being presented to me in, in my mind because I have a marketing firm. I know right. it's marketing behind these concepts. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, even the United States, for all that it does to – create democracy and quote, you know, unquote. quote yeah, right yeah, yeah. um saudi arabia is everything anti-democratic but yet they're best friends so that in itself mm-hmm. is a hip, like it's a hypocrisy of word and action yeah, yeah. um september 11th was not executed by 
any Iraqis. No. It was all Saudis. Yeah. But yet Iraq is the supposed place where we yes. had to go bomb the yeah. imaginary weapons of mass destruction. So, yeah. I mean, ultimately, the biggest me- weapon of mass destruction is America. But mm. I love this country. But there are things that, you know, sometimes you have to face your own truth. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to do that, you should be able to speak honestly about it. So as you talk about facing your own truth, you grew up in a household with very educated people, mm-hmm. um, people that uh, looked and aspired to take advantage of resources here and really ended up back in America in Detroit now because of your connection to family. Right. So uh, your mother and father, what uh, what what has been their, uh, I guess, takes uh, as they've grown on America and what's happening and what's trending and the opportunities here? Okay, so my mom, uh, my father passed away 10 years ago. He, thank you. He was a pretty amazing guy. I would say he was, and that's not just because he was my dad. People would say, you know, he was a saint amongst men. And Mm -hmm. he was a musician. He was a lawyer by degree. Um, He was almost, he played the sitar and he played the harmonium and he also sang. Okay. Yeah. Did he sing good? Yeah, okay, he had okay. he had like he You're would do shows. He no, he had he had, he actually he actually sang. Do you remember um, when Chris Weber put out a CD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they asked my dad to be on the track. Okay. So yeah, he's. I mean, yeah, the C Web album. Yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's he was very well. He did. He was an amazing singer. I think if the, anything was what he was supposed to do, it would be in the arts. Mm-hmm. and singing and music that was his first love mm-hmm. um, but he was extremely intelligent always talking politics everything and mm-hmm. um, one of i would say one of the hurdles is always foreign policy mm-hmm. because you implement treaties but then you don't follow them mm-hmm. and you expect certain countries to follow them and yet not others um, so the hypocrisy of foreign policy was always something that was up for debate yeah. anytime he was speaking to you family know, or friends. I, I'm, I gotta get back on the soapbox here. Yeah. As, um, as it's so funny, like I, like I talk about some of the, the, the rules that are put in place through American business. And mm-hmm. I just know the bottom line matters so much where explicitly, you know, Monsanto is not in South Africa and India right. or Pakistan explicitly anymore. But right. what they're doing is they're buying the goods that at in the in the sixties and seventies they would have done themselves from some company that probably has to buy and exploit the labor at these less than wages. Yeah. And they know they're doing it. So oh, it's yeah. almost like I'm going to say, yo, I'm going to give you $100 to do a job that if you were to pay a fair, fair wages, you need 1000 for. Exactly. Make it happen. Yeah. And that's happening across the board with a lot of companies. I'm, I'm using Monsanto as an example because they're they've been yeah. so prevalent through internationally when it comes to so many trades. Uh, but it's so many. It, it's so prevalent. Uh, we can look at the sugar industry. Yeah. Uh, anywhere in the Caribbean islands and South America and just know that those sugar fields, you know, Domino yeah. is not that they don't own that sugar field. Right. But by the time the, the sugar that's coming, they know that, you know, you kind of turn your back and know where it's coming from. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but you would have to do your, your due diligence, do the research yeah, and know to know that, you know? Um, so uh, I, I, I definitely believe that, 
it's another one of the the higher standards even the whole concept of i don't even like that whole term but when they say like these illegal workers or yeah. undocumented workers and it's like okay How'd if these companies didn't get these people jobs right or if they paid other people fair wages right then you know it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't exist. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm exactly. saying? So it's like, so, I mean, or should you be mad at the guy that's coming here and working for $10 a day? Or should you be mad at the cereal company for only paying $10 a day? Right. I mean, you can't be mad at the person trying to make a living. I agree. Yeah. I mean, they're just trying to do whatever they can do yeah. to sustain. Mm-hmm themselves or their kids or their Mm -hmm. families or whatever and you know it's a huge risk to come over here they know it's a risk Mm -hmm. so i don't think they come here thinking oh it's going to be all roses and they're doing the jobs that many people don't want to do so so you know you can't be mad at that person and then say okay we're going to deport them Mm -hmm. without reprimands to the people who are employing them Mm -hmm. like it it should be a two-way street if you're going to go ahead and find these illegal undocumented workers mm-hmm. who are they working for and how is what are the ripple effects to them mm-hmm. as this person gets deported so for every person that's deported what's happening to the company that employed that person nothing exactly <laughs> that's just the way it, the, the the smallest person on the totem pole yeah, always no. gets kicked the hardest yeah and it sucks it's the wrong way to live true indeed yeah so with this and education is one of those systems that i believe many people look to come to america from foreign countries to balance the playing field and even if the education becomes something that they uh, end up moving back to their home country or home nation or whatever the education seen here whether it's better or whether it's not better is just viewed as a commodity it absolutely is and there's a lot more opportunities there's a lot more colleges there's a lot more um, I think ways to get into the education of cho- like of choice, mm-hmm. um, and to be honest, America is still a place that people want to get to. Mm-hmm. It still has that status. It still has that Cash desire. Out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's all right there. And to come from a country that is third world, mm-hmm. and if you're not affluent, and even if you are. Coming to America takes you to the next level. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you you know, you have the degree and then you have the business or then you have whatever it is that you have and you continue to prosper on top of that. Um, so the education system here, I would say the colleges and the universities mm-hmm. is what the biggest drive is. Mm-hmm. Not so much, I would say, the grade schools or the mm-hmm. elementary or the high schools even because the high schools and the schooling that the kids go through there is pretty grueling. And they have to be mm-hmm. exceptional to even get through those grade levels. Mm-hmm. And um, and let me get your take on that, because yeah. I've often always said that, like when people say it's kids in Japan and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of like here, you know, no child's left behind. But in Japan, by the time you get to second grade, if it looks like you were, you know, throwing a throwing a, a paper ball at the person next to you, they'd be like, Psh, man, go get a job. Right. Right. So, well, so there are. I mean, depending on what opportunities present themselves for you. Mm-hmm. Even here, I mean, it's up to the it's up to the child mm-hmm. how successful they want to be. So there's always the argument. Well, he went to a good school, and he, this person didn't go to a good school, and so how do they get into college? There's always going to be a kid that blows the curve. Yeah. Um, it's just how do you get more children interested in mm-hmm. blowing the curve? Well, the culture over there puts so much emphasis on education 
that you want to blow the curve. And that's what I was going to ask. Like, what's the difference do you think in the Oh, education is everything. Hmm. Education is everything. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the things that one of my my mom's brothers, um, he was a businessman. And he, I would say, I don't know about regretted, but I think he, his kids became an attorney, a doctor, and a um, police officer. Mm-hmm. And they all went to college. And he didn't go to college because he worked hard. He came here and he worked hard to provide for them. So he did business. And um, I remember being very young because he passed away before I was even, I don't know, I don't even think I was 10. And he said, you know what? They can take your money. They can take your house. They can take your cars. They can take everything from you. But they can't take away your education. Your mind is your money, is your success, is your future. Mm-hmm. They can't take that. So no matter what happens, if you have your education, you can always begin again. And that's kind of the theory behind education. Like it is your foundation mm-hmm. of success is if you have an education, what can stop you? Mm-hmm. And that's how they push. They push for education. And the smart kids are not the nerds. The smart kids are the ones you want to be. Mm-hmm. You don't want to like, oh, that's the a nerd. Nerds. Yeah, you know, like the <laughs> you want to be a nerd. So, so yeah. America introduced you to the whole concept of what a nerd is. Right, right. So it was like you were getting all the eight, all uh, all good grades answering questions. They're like, nerd. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's there too. Like I didn't grow up in Pakistan, so I don't know. I, and it's been very westernized as well uh, over yeah. the years. Yep. So, but yeah, here, you know, the smart kids are just the smart kids. Yeah. And people want to be the cool kid, not yeah. necessarily smart kid. True. So, yeah. True. So, Over there, the cool kid is the smart kid. Ain't that something? Yeah. So when we, uh, the the culture itself, and we talked a little bit about family, what about you? Um, being here, you said it was in high school, just at the time, um, in your adolescence and the immaturity, and also the, the misunderstandings of your classmates. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only imagine. And you said like uh, uh, the, the the suburbs of Detroit, as we we know, just the the racial climate is very segregated here right, right. Um, in Metro Detroit. A lot right. different from where you came from in Toronto, right. which is nothing close um, with the Canada background and very diverse. Uh, you know, there's there are dynamics between uh, black and white here. Yeah. Uh, and then even. Arab and white and yeah. Arab and black and yeah. and being from Pakistan just by default people will just assume okay this is Arab which is it's it's a uh, a culture that doesn't even necessarily align with all Arab cultures because it's so it's its own it's its so own. many layers yeah. it's its own country I, I mean again it was part of India so if any cultures are I would similar. say similar mm-hmm. um it was all India at one point, but mm-hmm. the Indian and Pakistani divide came due mm-hmm. to the British mm-hmm. and, you know, saying, hey, they're Muslim, mm-hmm. hey, they're Hindu, mm-hmm. and it created this discord. Mm-hmm. So it was a divide and conquer because prior to the British arriving, everybody still lived together. Yeah. So it wasn't an issue until they until they had made it an issue. Yeah, basically. yeah, pretty yeah. much. Colonization exactly uh, has has definitely corrupted the world, yeah. which is another soapbox topic of like totally. when I say, "Yo, the white man has not generally come with good things for people, <laughs> even the other white men." <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's been, it, you know you can see it throughout. I would say any country 
that was colonized, even mm -hmm. um, in the culture of mm -hmm. skin color. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, or e even now, the fair complected person, even within our culture, mm -hmm. is more attractive. Yeah. And I know it's the same in the black culture. Yeah. And it's the same in the Indian culture. And it's the same in, like, the Sri Lankan culture. Everywhere. Uh, Anywhere there's right melanin. Now, a yeah. lot of the challenges in Puerto Rico yeah. definitely deal with the fact that, like, okay, it's like a pseudo state. Because America, at one point in time, quote, unquote, it's a... Puerto Rico is an American province. And it's like, what the hell does that mean? You know I, what I'm I don't saying? even think a lot of people knew that until yeah. recently. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, it, and... So what accountability is it? Now it's like, well, these Puerto Ricans didn't know how to spend money. And it's like, okay, does that mean that citizens shouldn't have power from months on in? Like, what the hell is going on? No, I, I, it's like saying one of your kids didn't know how to manage their money. So I'm just going to leave them out in the cold. Yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. You know, I'm at least going to bring you in mm -hmm. so that you have basic food and shelter. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to help you get back on your feet. Um, Puerto Rico is such a sad state of affairs right now that we... Americans should be embarrassed by what's happening there. Oh be man, the, the the long list of things we should be embarrassed. Absolutely, because it's like it's crazy. But like I, I I do agree. It's it's some opportunities here, but it definitely is not as progressive as the the marketing kit has uh, sold the world and and sells us as Americans as well. Yeah, you know, um, your story into photography. Okay, what led you into photography? So I actually went to University of Detroit Mercy, mm -hmm. and I stayed on campus, and that was kind of my intro into Detroit. Mm -hmm. And my friends and I would go venture into the city, you know, during the weekends. And I am a an avid fan and lover of the arts. Mm -hmm. So even when I had time in between classes, I would go to the DIA, hmm. and I would just do my homework there. And I would wow. go, you know, just to the river. I love the water. So you'll catch me by the water. If I'm mm -hmm. having a bad day, I need to just go sit by the water. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many places that were just peaceful. Now in you've, Detroit. Traveled, you've traveled the world and I do think that our waterway is really cool. But what do you like about the Detroit River comparable to the different places you've been and seen? Because you've seen seas, you've seen oceans. I have and I haven't. So mm -hmm. I've seen it um, and I've seen them at different ages. Mm -hmm. So my appreciation for those things as you get older changes. Okay. Um, what I love about Detroit is the it's very accessible to get to the water. Mm -hmm. And there's parks now. And where Detroit was and how far it's come mm -hmm. is huge. Like the Riverwalk. And mm -hmm. you have places to go sit and eat and just everything is happening in Detroit right now um, and even when it wasn't quite happening when I was in college I still would find places of like peacefulness and it's funny because Detroit gets a bad rep like it's you know violent and it's this and it's abandoned houses and it's that but I think there's even beauty in the abandoned houses mm -hmm. so even at a young age I was always looking at what people might think is unattractive mm -hmm and finding something extremely appealing about it that makes it unique. Mm -hmm. So I've always enjoyed photography. Um, it's not what I went to school for. I actually went did criminal justice and psychology. I started law school. I left law school. I worked for Chrysler for 10 years, and they did the buyout when that whole bankruptcy thing mm -hmm. happened. And with the buyout, that's when I started my own business. Hmm. Okay. So, so with with 
this whole concept of always looking at things because I think a great photographer, it's like anybody with, with these skill sets. Like I have these, um, I have microphones, I have speakers, I have mixing boards and all that. But I know some of the, some of my OGs in this game of audio, like you can give them a radio shack microphone and the worst tape recorder and they can make it sound great. Just like a great photographer, you can give a Polaroid to, and it's the it's the eye, it's the skill. So, what is it that you like to bring out when you're capturing a shot? You know, I think that what I see is the honest reflection of either the person mm-hmm. or the scene. So, if I capture Obviously, I've shot weddings and everything. So there's your, you know, your standard poses and stuff like that that you have to do, which are fine. But what I really like catching is the expression. And I like catching the art and the abandoned. And I like catching what catches my eye is the things that actually probably people overlook. Mm -hmm. You could walk by an abandoned field and I could see something blooming. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the rose and the concrete as mm-hmm. Tupac would say, you know, like, mm-hmm. so uh, to me, when I see things, I don't look at them for what they are. I look at them from where they've come from, huh. where they're at, and how they're going to grow. Um, in my own vision, like it, how I could see it mm-hmm. developing or how I envision it looking. So it's like taking one piece of the puzzle, but putting the entire puzzle together behind a camera. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this word association game with you now. <laughs> okay. That I did with my cousin that's a okay. painter. Okay. And I just wonder what your responses will be. Okay. When you hear the color blue, what yeah. do you think? Um, I think sky and water mm-hmm. are the first two things that come to my mind. Um, I also think of eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think of reflections. Okay. If blue had an emotion, what what emotion would it would it be? To me, blue is peaceful. Okay. And serene. So to me, blue is calm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say it's calm. So you get, you get. I'm going to go through more colors. I Red. know, yeah. Red, what do you think? I think vibrant. Mm-hmm. I think vibrant. I think erotic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think captivating. It draws you in. So mm-hmm. red can, I think red can engage all of those emotions that are right under the surface. Hmm. So be it lust, be it anger, be it, um, you know, attraction, whatever Hmm. those things that draw you initially, that's red. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Purple. So this purple is, I can think of sunsets. Uh um, And I can think of royalty simply Hmm. because it's affiliated on its own, right? So purple is regal, mm-hmm. um, but it's also sunsets, and it's also different shades of blue to me. Mm. So that's where I go with purple. Okay. Uh, let's see. Green. Money. <laughs> okay. Yes. No. So yeah, purple. that's a, yeah. So the bag. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no. So that's the first thing you think of when you hear green, right? Uh, but um, green actually just is to me. It's earth. Hmm. So green. I would say green. The different shades of green always remind me of trees. Mm-hmm. Um, because even as a child, when we would drive, 
prior to smartphones and all these things that you can keep looking down for. Mm -hmm. I was looking up and I was looking outside and I was always looking out the window and I would say to my dad, I'd be like, there's so many colors of green. Like there's no two trees that Mm -hmm. are the same color. Wow. And it's, yeah. All right. um, Black. Black. So to me, black is powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also sophisticated. It's Mm -hmm. also forgiving when it comes to clothes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I think black is is its own almost entity. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it's, it's a canvas and it's a power, and it's power both in the same. So mm. it can be both the background and it can be the forefront. Hmm. It's everything. Okay. Uh, which white? White is also a canvas. Mm-hmm. But to me, white's empty. So mm-hmm. white needs more. Mm-hmm. Um, Black doesn't necessarily need a color mm-hmm. to stand out, mm-hmm. where white to me needs some color mm-hmm. to make itself stand out. Hmm. Um, but white can also be very angelic, you know? Mm-hmm. White can be also peaceful. Mm-hmm. But to me, black can be peaceful too, because the night is peaceful. Hmm. So it, okay. all, it all depends on how you interpret it, you know? Uh- all right, I got two more colors for you, okay. and then I'm gonna throw. You, one's gonna throw you for a loop. He oh, laughed no. when I asked him okay. this. One. All right, so uh, the regular color I'm gonna ask. I was taught between yellow and orange, but yellow. So yellow, to me, so yellow is not my favorite color. Hmm. It's interesting, right? Because it's a very happy, sunshiny mm-hmm. color. Um, I like yellow, but it has to depend on the shade of yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, yellow reminds me of nurseries. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it also can remind me of hospitals. Huh. So, and maybe because when I was growing up, my father had his first heart attack in his 30s, actually, the day that he signed the mortgage when we moved here to Michigan. Oh. And so there was a lot of time spent in and out of the hospital. So, oh. as the colors changed, you know, you get guilty by affiliation, and yellow has been mm. guilty by affiliation. Huh. So, um, yellow, and then that ugly, what was it? The like mauve color that came in the 90s, like that, mm-hmm. uh, that one. I don't like that one either. Mm. So, um, but yellow itself is sunshine. Like, yellow itself mm. is vibrant. But just due to your life and that but due to my situation. Life. Right. It's like, you know, if you, you have, have a different association. Right. Like, if your girlfriend's name was. Stephanie and I, some girl named Stephanie pissed me off when I was mm-hmm. little. Yeah. I'm not going to like Stephanie yep. by default until mm-hmm. I get to know her. Yep. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... Yes. One of my closest homegirls is Stephanie. Well, she I have no problem homie. with the name Stephanie, but that homie. was just a, <laughs> that was just an example. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, but along with that, the last one, this threw him for the loop. He never thought I'd say this. The color clear. So clear isn't a color. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a color. I can't give you anything with that. I just think water. You're requesting. <laughs> yeah. Masterpiece Malibu. <laughs> yeah, it would be the, I don't know, clear. I can't go anything with clear. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He was like, clear is not a color. Right. All right. So, um. With this, uh, if, if as a photographer, um, if I could, uh, any any person just throughout time, if you could do a photo shoot with them, who would you do a photo shoot with? 
the very first thing that just popped into my head when you said that um, is not necessarily person, but a time era. Mm-hmm. Um, the Taj Mahal, I've never been there, hmm. and it's supposed to be magnificent, right? Hmm. And the story behind the Taj Mahal is the. I have no idea what so, the story behind the Taj Mahal is. So the story Mahal behind is. it was built for a woman. Hmm. Um, so it was. I think his name was Aurangzeb, was the gentleman who fell in love with the woman, hmm. and he she passed, and oh. so he built this in her honor and her memory. If I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong. Could here. he? Did he move in another woman? N- uh, no, I don't know, I don't <laughs> know the whole story. You. No, but <laughs> I mean he is a man. <laughs> he is a man, so who knows how many women? <laughs> I ain't moving in this woman house. It's like, no, but it was woman. built. It was built as like a, um, it was built for love, right? Mm. So the architecture and all that comes with that story mm-hmm. would be something I would love to. So right protect. when it was done being built? Yes, because okay. so what I hear about it now is that the Taj Mahal itself is extremely beautiful, but it's been surrounded by poverty mm. and garbage and all kinds of like, it's not, it's beautiful when you're in it. Mm-hmm. But the minute you walk out, the reality of the poverty in India hits you smack in the face. Hmm. So to go back into a time of royalty mm-hmm. and right when it was finished and this mm-hmm. like masterpiece was created, that would be amazing. Wow. Even the, mm-hmm. I would say, um, the pyramids. Like like when they were being, when they okay, were, yeah. okay, wait. So you would be a person. Would you want to go on the end? You'd be like one of the surviving people to actually I would go like on to the be inside. Invisible. And then walk. Okay, all right, all right. Because I was going to say. I would be the invisible know, photographer. When they put that last stone in, that'll be the last photo shoot you ever have. Right, no. I'd have a superpower if I was able to do okay, that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah, th- those are both interesting um, interesting places uh, to, to capture the peak, the 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 um the essence and i think detroit has some very unique places i, I think does. the fisher the fisher building itself and the architecture of it is amazing i it's think the beautiful. guardian building is amazing the uh, speaking on the fisher the fisher mansion in the hari krishnans yeah uh, that's a cool place too i haven't been in i've done some forever. photo shoots in the fisher building and the guardian and it's every time i walk in Mm-hmm. It's breathtaking. It doesn't matter if I've been there yesterday. I'm always just like in awe of everything that surrounds you. And it's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's like, you could drive through Detroit and miss so many things mm-hmm. because you're not looking. But if you stop and take a break and get out your car and walk around and walk into the buildings and you see the history, the architect, the colors, how everything comes together, it's, it's art at yeah. its best. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Fox Theater has a cool feel too. It does. The ceiling is amazing. I mean, just the artwork, mm-hmm. the paintings, the the mosaics, the tiles, everything that comes together is perfect. Mm-hmm. The library, the yeah. main library yeah. is very a lot of detail. So much detail. Into the design of it and the feel. So some of these places do you just ever go out and take your cameras and just snap snap snap? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I'd like to do more of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always rushing for time, like time and I are racing. Mm-hmm. So it's always trying to get as much as I can in when mm-hmm. I can. Um, but I, I have definitely working on getting in more. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And then with two boys, I have two boys, and I'm trying to get them out to Detroit more, mm-hmm. and so they can get a feel of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because their friends will be like, "Oh, you went to Detroit?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's it's sad. You had asked me about um, the climate of where how I was growing up and mm-hmm. had it improved, and then I had talked about September 11th, and I actually wrote. I've written actually a children's series. Um, I haven't published it. I don't know that next step. But I wrote it when my eldest son was four because um, one of the stories because he was in his preschool class and everybody got an invitation to a birthday party except him. Wow. And then he asked, well, hey, you know, you're a little kid. So you're just like, where's my invitation? You know, when you're four or something like that, you can't even quantify the impact of something like that. So he said, and the kid said, oh yeah, there's no brown people coming to my party. Mm. So he came home and he told me about that. And that prompted, like I had already started writing these little stories when mm-hmm. I had found out I was pregnant. And then this one is pretty impactful because even when I came, like I didn't think that coming from Toronto to Michigan and feeling how I felt would be how my kids would feel. Hmm. I thought we would be way beyond that. Mm-hmm. But to have to, for, for them to have to feel how I had felt for a lengthy period of time, even for a moment in time, hurts. Yeah, and I was going to say, you may it may have impacted you because it probably brought back up emotions oh, yeah. that you had. Of course, of course. From years Childhood. ago. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. So, um, I, I'm definitely interested in this series. And, okay, uh, yeah. And as you bring that to life, definitely you can come back to Detroit is different. Hey, maybe we could do an audio story. Yeah, we could. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's grown as ever. He's probably like, he still loves that story. He's <laughs> like, this story would be so important right okay. now, mom. And cool. I was like, okay. Okay, so he is still with it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I know, I know teenage boys, it's like that testosterone. Yeah, he's a good kid, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's okay. he's pretty, just today he was talking about how it can feel lonely to be someone who thinks outside the box mm-hmm. and how, like, why are all, like, you know, he's in 10th grade and he's like, you know, everybody thinks the same, everybody dresses the same, everybody's doing the same thing. And he was like, I don't fit in. And I was like, well, I didn't fit in either. And I was like, but let me tell you, to be exceptional means you don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you exceptional is you don't think in the box. So don't worry about that box mm-hmm. because being outside the box is what's going to keep you growing. Okay. How about the rest of your family now? Um, and uh, what have they been doing? And, and, and what is, uh, what's their take as they um, are interacting with your little homies and so forth and so on? So, and you as a photographer itself too, because you're a creative and it seems like you have a family full of business people like, uh, and, and, and hardcore professionals. So as yeah. you're an artist, what's the, uh, what's the feel? So it's funny. Cause I'll say out of my family, I'm probably like the one who just went straight off the beaten path. Right. So mm-hmm. it was like, are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer? And I was actually intending to go to law school, complete it. But my father got sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I withdrew, Um, And at that crossroads, I was like, do I want to spend more time and money going to school or actually living my life? Because I was married. So I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, family, and I just lost my dad versus career Mm -hmm. and schooling. And so I opted with following my dreams, which were always creative. Um, So 
I have a family full of doctors. And wait, let's stop right there, <laughs> okay. too, because it's a lot of people that look at me as an entrepreneur and a creative entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and hats off. And that's why I invited you on in the first place, just being a photographer. Um, wherever you're at in this journey as a creative entrepreneur, it's very difficult. Um, yeah. Any form of entrepreneurship is difficult. It is. Uh, even if you're making sandwiches. But at least when you're making sandwiches, people know what they're buying. Right. Whereas sometimes when you're selling something that's creative, it's very tough to quantify and and, and, and even believe in it yourself. As I was talking to a, um, I was talking to a playwright the other day. Yeah. And I was telling her how to approach selling tickets. And she was like, well, you know, I don't know. And I, I'm like, you got to sell yourself first. You right. have to hop that hurdle. And it's tough. I know I'm giving it to you real plain, but you got to believe that what you're doing is substantive and of value and people will appreciate it. And right. it will change the way they even respond to it. But if you go into it responding like, you know, shooting yourself down, like, I don't know if you really want to, like for you, it'd be like, I don't know if you really want to pay for a photo shoot. Then the person going to be thinking, yeah. I don't know if I really want to pay for a photo shoot. You know, and I have to tell you, you that's 100% accurate. I think as a creative in the American culture, like I, I so I'm also a certified Zentangle instructor. And what that is, it's a meditative art, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and when I took that certification, it was in Rhode Island. And mm -hmm. um, people came from, I think there were 26 countries that people came from, oh. from Taiwan to Korea to India to Japan, everywhere. They were all in Germany. All these places came. And the Far East has such a, like, appreciation for arts mm -hmm. that they, you know, these people would come and get their certifications, and then they would go back and create, like, Zentangle, which is kind of like mandalas and stuff like that, but you're creating them and teaching them so that you could create something and be like, I made that, even though it's surprising that you made it, but it's just one little piece at a time that you build upon. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very manageable. And then you got to explain what a mandala is because I'm so, sitting here saying, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I just was so funny. I, I spoke at a, because uh, I was in this documentary, I spoke at a, uh, at a Buddhist temple. <laughs> and they talked last about year, it. And they were talking about chants and stuff. I'm like, wow, this is the most culturally eye opening thing I've seen in a long time. Right. So please break down what a mandala is and what this is as well. So. A formal mon mandala, you'll see them in like the Buddhist culture or the Hindu culture and their designs, their patterns. Mm -hmm. They could almost look like doodles, right? But um, s like religiously, they okay, had significance and meaning. I know exactly what you're talking about from being there in the temple. Right. So it's it, it, it almost looks like a... a like the the designs that will be, they're better, but like the designs that are on like bandanas and stuff. And right, it's like right, ink like, based drawing. Yes. Uh, some of it were on the hands. Yep, the henna art and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yep, mm -hmm. very, very similar. But what it is, is like a tile like this, like a coaster. Mm -hmm. And the Zentangle art form will take a piece of Zentangle tile like this. Mm -hmm. You get a pen, you get a pencil. The pencil is only used in the very beginning. And then you go with a pen because there are no mistakes. And in mm. the whole, it's one stroke at a time. So that's the concept is like with every stroke, it's intentional. And mm. the reason that the Zentangle certification even came to pass is there's a, it was a monk and an artist that came together and they actually ended up getting married, but he was talking to her and she 
didn't even hear anything that he said. And he was like, what are you thinking about when you're drawing? When she was a graphic artist and she would draw um, and she would do lettering and all kinds of things. And she was like, I'm actually not thinking about anything. My mind is completely clear. I'm just with the art. And he was like, as a monk who lived in the, you know, the mountains and the whole purpose was to be at peace and at mm-hmm. Zen, you work so hard for that meditative space of clear, clear mind. And the fact that you can attain it while doing art mm-hmm. brought together the concept of Zen tangle. Because when you're doing the art, you're actually not thinking. You're just so doing it. So it's a it. form of meditation. Yeah. Hmm. And the reason they do it on a, like a small tile is because you take a 15-minute break at work or you do whatever to clear your mind. Mm-hmm. So that little tile, you could spend 15 minutes on it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings you back to center. Hmm. So it's it's pretty cool. That's a whole other something that I do. Um, but yeah, I... I think that as a cre- they you know these people go back to the far east and they're selling their artwork and people are buying it for good prices where here you know oh that's nice that's all you get and then as a yeah. photographer you know you're like you know I do photography and then you know I've had people say well you're just taking a picture there's so much more than taking a picture and just the other day I was like I wish I had a me to take a picture of me because I make sure that when I take a picture of you, you're going to like it. As as a marketing person, you need to write that down, capture <laughs> it, put it on the back of a business right. card, and use that. Because yeah. trust me, it would sell. Yeah. It would sell. But um, it's so when you made that commitment, taking that courage, let me tip my hat to you, of, um, of artistry and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Because it's very, you're walking a path that is takes a lot of courage even though people talk the whole you know this is the land of milk and honey and right. you're supposed to do this in america it's still you know you, you almost it, it's a it's a it's a fraternity i have with certain entrepreneurs that's just in a different kinship and a respect like, like right. i feel like i'm traveling through the world like highlander or masons or something like right. it's like oh yeah you are here doing this thing too that's what right. i'm talking about <laughs> yeah so um so as you were doing that, uh, what was the response of your family? Let's get back to that question. So, you know, my mom, um, my father had already passed. Mm-hmm. And he was, because he was both a scholar and an artist, mm-hmm. um, I think that he would have appreciated, because mm-hmm. he was someone who saw the beauty in everything. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe, I, you know, I can't take credit for what's God-given, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I didn't go to school to become a photographer, mm-hmm. um, it's funny because I would take photos and I had, like, when you talked about the Polaroid, <laughs> I had, like, a old-school film camera, and they were like, how come you're not doing photos? And I was like, I'm not a photographer. And they're like, but you take better photos than a photographer. Like, I paid people to take photos that aren't mm-hmm. even half as good as yours. It's not about what you went to school for. It's no. what you have an eye for. And then it's also not about the equipment. It's about yeah. the skill. Yeah. So it was a leap of faith. Like, I took it, and then my family has been, you know, my husband has always been supportive. Um, he's always like, you know, hey, follow your dreams. If you, He's like, you have an eye for it. You have a talent for it. Mm-hmm. So believe in it. And I'm always, you know, I started off like, uh, but I'm not really a photographer. But mm-hmm. now I look at my work and I'm like, you know, I am a photographer. Mm-hmm. And capturing the essence of what it is I'm photog- like doing the photography of, mm-hmm. it shows. 
And I've, I've built upon that and I've gained confidence in that. So it is a tough sell because a lot of people will say, well, you know, we do weddings and they're like, well, I spent, you know, 10000 on the decorations, but I only want to spend 5000 on photography. Well, which I've never gotten, by the way, but like, mm-hmm. they'll lowball yeah. you, right? Yeah. And then they'll say, well, can you bring down your price? Because, you know, I already spent X on decorations and da-da-da, whatever. And at the end of the day, all you have is your photos. Those decorations, those flowers will die. The food will come and go, literally. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, and what you have left is your memories. So your memories are in your photography and the photographs that you look back upon. So why not invest in that? And if you want to capture a great headshot, if you want to capture a moment, if you want to capture that engagement and that look of surprise or that look of like, I can't believe this is happening to me, why is that not an investment? Why is art not an investment? Hmm. Because the person who's capturing that memory in your life is the artist that's creating the picture for you to look back upon. So it's important. It's important. And I think as I've grown as a photographer, the importance of what I do becomes more my foundation mm-hmm. than just what this is what I do. What I do is actually I'm I am creating a story that you have to look back upon. Mm-hmm. And it's your story. All I'm doing is capturing it for you, but I'm capturing it in the most beautiful way possible. Okay. So, I'm guessing cuz you you were touching on it, but I'm guessing just like with your mom just of the essence and then even other people like probably it may have been harder for her to understand because she knows the skill sets and then even out of not not necessarily the support as much as it's just out of in her own best interest of thinking what's best for you she may not have kind of connected with the concept i think she she appreciates what i do mm-hmm. um she thinks it's a lot of work okay. for a little reward mm-hmm. um and when i say reward you know in the culture doctors mm-hmm lawyers, engineers, people of, you know, the more letters you have behind Mm -hmm. your name, the more status and, Mm -hmm. you know, recognition you have. And I could have those letters and I may have those letters, but that's not how I recognize. That's not me. But in her mind, those letters. It's not just her. It's the whole culture, you know, like. Yeah, I was going to say, but it's it's more, it's still out of protection of like, with those letters, she'll end up better and safer. But it's not necessarily saying that, like, well, people get the letter so that they can have this quality of life. Right. But I have this quality of life with me and this camera. Right. Right. And and to me, yeah, money's great. You know, mm-hmm. if you can, if I could be a, you know, a successful attorney, because my mom will sometimes say, go back to law. Do you ever think about going back to law school? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, I have. Mm-hmm. But that's because I have a passion for justice, mm-hmm. which is why I wanted to go to begin with, except that's been disenchanted over the years so talk about it yeah so the desire for me to go back and the drive is not what it used to be but my desire to connect with people um has always been there so when i was younger you know i wanted to be a singer i wanted to be all this a writer this and that and i still write you know i haven't pursued it but i would say the essence of me um is capturing the eloquence in life, hmm. be it through photography or writing or poetry or music or what have you. Hmm. And that isn't always appreciated. Yeah, but I, I also believe that this, 
from different generations as we look because it's also like uh, timing has a lot to do culture has a lot to do with timing too right. so like in the in the essence of when your mom was born where your mom was born right like even in her love for you it's still taking her out of the frame of reference for um taking her out of the frame of reference for everything that she's seen is true in life like i was having a talk with my grandma the other day everybody's calling me about it with the with the my grandma said you know jesus wouldn't hop in that uber but i was just <laughs> telling her i was just telling her i was like uh i don't even know how did the conversation start the conversation started with um i was gonna take an uber someplace yeah and then she's like you know what they're saying and my grandma is my grandma is, i love my grandma she's stubborn as all get up she was like you know what they saying about all these uber drivers on the news and you don't know who they are and it's different people i'm like granny i was like you need to have more faith in humanity right <laughs> and right then she was like <laughs> then she said i know what's going on today i was like granny the same stuff that's going on today was going on when you was around exactly and she started laughing and i said jesus would get in that uber and then she, <laughs> then that's what she she said Jesus wouldn't get that Uber. <laughs> but, you know, it's like she's from a different era. You know what I yeah. mean? She was born in, uh, let's see, Granny. Man, we're going back. Like, Granny's 87. Wow. Uh, she was born in, let's see, Granny was born in Arkansas. Okay. Uh, like, outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. So, like, that's a whole nother, like, reality yeah. of, of life in this whole concept of, like, you know, pulling out a smartphone app and somebody picking you up. Exactly. You know. Yeah. It, it ain't. She don't even. I put my mom in an Uber, and she was like, "Don't ever do that again." Hilarious. <laughs> but this is what's so crazy because she said, "I'll take a cab," and I bet you your mom yeah. would take a cab. And it's like you realize a lot of the Uber drivers the are cab drivers too, right? Right. It's the same concept. <laughs> Just Maybe a, even better because right. you can actually call a cell phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, man, I think I left something in the back. You, right. You, you can't do that with a with the cab company. You got to call the cab. Like, they not trying to hear that. No. Nope. You said my mom said never do that again. <laughs> she was like, no, don't ever do that again. I was like, why? She was like, it smelled like smoke in there. And I was like, okay, that was it. One bad, one and done. She was yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, whereas if she goes to New York, she'll be the first person in the taxi. And you know, <laughs> right. smoke, that'll probably be the best smell you'll get. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, so as we're wrapping up and coming to the end, how do people get in contact with you if they want to see and get that best picture taken? Well, I have um, a Facebook page, and my page is Con Art, which is one word. I can spell it for you. It's K H A N. A-R-T. Mm-hmm. Again, that's K-H, not K-A. So it's like Shaka Khan or Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan. Khan art. And then photography is the second part of the word. So they're two separate words. But Khan mm-hmm. art is one word. And I also have a website, which is www.conartphotography.com. All one word. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can call me. Yeah. And I can give my, um, I don't know, do I want to give my number out? <laughs> no, no, you can just, they can book you through there. You can, and you, let me you, say this, you can see the work. You'd rather have them check that way. I would love for you, yeah. So my website, um, I have photos posted on my website and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a small snapshot of things. But my Facebook mm-hmm. page, I'm a lot more active on. Yes, you are. And she and, has some great photos. And let me say this to a lot of people, as I do a lot of websites with my work, um, and we're in a photo culture right now 
we are in a photo culture. Right yeah. now, it's somebody working on a campaign that sent me an iPhone picture like, put this on the back of the flyer. And I told him, I was like, I can't put this on the back of a flyer, right. but it's going to look horrible. Right. You know? Well, everybody with like, a cell phone is a photographer gonna these look days. good. Yeah. You you want to run for office. You want to get a new job. It, the first place people are looking is Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you have a, a series of professional shots or if your professional shots were from 15 years ago and then you walk in and they're like, who are you? And it's like, well, you know, that was old. It, <laughs> right. You can it, it's it's essential to have professional photos in this day and age i believe if you're if you're in any realm of of planning on doing anything in business absolutely i've had companies i've done headshots for law firms and for accounting firms and um i've done it for individuals who work at firms when the firm wasn't paying for the headshots, but yeah. then you can tell, like if you go to a website, you can tell and you who, can tell who, who did who a took selfie. That picture yeah, at the sink, sink of the bio party, <laughs> right? You know what I'm Versus saying? Versus the professional, yeah. I'm and I'm choosing who I'm going to work with. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the person that looks the most professional. Yeah. If you want to speak at an event, you yeah. want to have a good headshot. If yeah. you if you representing yourself, you want to have a good shit headshot. Nowadays, you know, you'll show up like the conversation before this because we generally video. And next time she's definitely going to come back on. Yes, we going video style. <laughs> but um, we were talking about the photos that she'll send. Like photos matter so much right now in, in the era, especially in the Google day and age, because people will Google you. Yeah. And if the first photo that show, shows up is some pixelated, weird looking photo with you hold a corona in your hand people will be like mm, i don't know about this person exactly whereas if you had that professional hair shot they're like wow look at this guy this right. guy looks like a professional yeah yeah it makes all the difference it can either sell you or pass you by yeah yeah it, it's essential so the last three detroit is different questions these are the classic detroit is different questions okay. um your very first car the year making model and what year did you get it hmm gosh I don't want to date myself. <laughs> um, I know. So I actually don't remember what year it was, but mm. my parents got me a Mercury Topaz mm. and it was awful. But I love that car and I got it when I was 16. Uh-huh. And um, how long did it last? Not it didn't even make it six months. So, Hilarious. yeah, the defrost wouldn't work. So I had Oof. to like physically wipe down Oof. every time I was driving. No no defrost in no. Michigan is a, ooh, <laughs> right. that's a beast. Yeah, and then... That's a beast. Yeah, it, it didn't last very long. All right, uh, where was the first place you drove to? High school. Okay, so you yeah. drove to school first. I did. I drove oh, to school man. first. So, yeah, you, you basically had to pack up your car with all your friends. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I didn't have that many friends, though. Okay, so, so it was I it was, was kind tight. of a loner. Okay. Yeah, everybody's friend. Like, I think... I. I was cool with everyone, mm-hmm. but I kind of walked alone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, if you were the DJ at the end of the Detroit Fireworks at Woodward and Jefferson, mm-hmm. you could play three songs. What three songs would you play? Hmm. That's a good question. Oh, this is tough. I like so much music. Um, at the end of the Detroit Fireworks, what would I play? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I love Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. So anything Michael Jackson. You got to pick some. Okay. Want to be starting something. Okay. Okay. That's song one. And then, let me think. 
Are we getting hype? Are we bringing the cow down? It's, you're the DJ. <laughs> you're the DJ. Um, we could do the weekend. Okay, what song? Um, I can't feel my face. Okay, all right. Um, and then I guess we could finish with Stevie Wonder. What song? Ribbon in the Sky. Ah. Okay, and we're mixing this one for you. Okay. And really, I'm going to make this some content that I need to make anyway. Okay. The best place that a Detroiter should take a selfie. There's so many. Um, you know, honestly, there's a rock <laughs> um, by Shane Park. Hmm. That's So if you go to Shane Park, but you walk around, there's a few big rocks there. Mm-hmm. And they're right over the water, so be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you sit on the rock and you get the right angle, you can get the bridge and the river front behind you hmm. where you can kind of capture the Renson hmm. and Shane Park. And if you do it the other way, you can capture Canada on the flip side. So it's a perfect place to bridge two countries and hmm. the water. So to me, it's a great spot. And then if you're sober enough, you won't fall in the exactly. river. Exactly. Definitely don't drink and don't drink and selfie. <laughs> yeah. Don't drink and selfie. <laughs> Incriminate yourself. Right. We need to make that a hashtag. Don't drink and selfie. <laughs> it's like, oh. It's like, nah, I'm swimming. Right, right. <laughs> All right. This was a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. Perfect. The Detroit is Different podcast is about exposing artistry, business, ideas, and dynamic people, places, and things that make Detroit a mecca. Tune in weekly and subscribe to get the true stories from the people shaping the culture of an American classic city. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Detroit is Different podcast and don't miss the true stories that add to the culture of Detroit.